ones that makes you feel real important. <clears throat> All right, if you'll turn with me tonight to Revelation chapter 1 again. We're going to look at that tonight again. Revelation chapter 1. Uh, it's good to be here. Thank the Lord for His blessings, and I'm thankful He helped us last night. That's a blessing. Had a good service, and uh, it's always good to see all of you, and I'm glad for the people from Highland that have been coming this week, as Todd has already mentioned that, and uh, they were really, they really turned out good Sunday night, and then there's been people here every, every night this week, and so I appreciate that so, so very much. It's good to have Derek. I, I thought Derek was vacating this week, but I'm glad you made it tonight, but Derek, okay, and then, uh, of course, uh, uh, Teresa and and uh, Mitch and Donald, I'm glad they're here. And Joy, my brother Joy and Amanda have come. They they follow me around all over the place too, so I appreciate that. And it's always good to have Vicky with me. She don't always get to go, but she's got to come this week. And uh, she's got some good news and bad news about her foot there, I guess. So you keep praying for her. she needs she needs your prayers there with that. And uh, of course, it's always good to have brother John Ricketts. Brother John's one of my best friends. I talk to John every week at least and sometimes two or three times a week and we go sometimes to count, uh, to count meetings and things like that and, and uh, I enjoy being, being with John. He always has something good to kind of help you with. He, he gets me a going. He, uh, here a few Sundays ago, well it's been quite a few now, he, uh, he said to me, he called me one Sunday morning he said, well, I'm going to have a good crowd this morning. I said, well, that's great, John. How do you know that? He said, I'm seeing double. <laughs> he just has a good way of looking at bad things. So I'm so thankful for Brother John. Amen. All right. We're going to look tonight in Revelation chapter 1. And we're going to read, begin reading in verse 9. And I'm going to read all the way down to the end of the chapter, which will be uh, verse 20. And so then I'm going to talk to you a little bit about that. And share some more things with you tonight about uh, last night we talked about the Christ that John worshipped. And I want to talk to you again about that same subject, but it won't be the same message, okay? Dear Lord, we thank you for this day. Thank you for your blessings. Thank you for this time we can be in your house. And dear Lord, today as I try to prepare uh, for tonight, I pray, Lord, that I could get across to us what needs to be said tonight. Lord, if somehow we could catch this message and apply it to our lives, I know we would be changed forever. I pray, Lord, tonight that you give me love and faith and wisdom as I preach, and most of all, I pray you'd fill me with the Holy Spirit. And Lord, I know that I'm just clay, and I'm such a sinful human being, and I'm not saying that by trying to make people feel sorry for me or something like that. I just know I'm flesh. And dear Lord, I know I need you tonight, and I pray that you would help me. If there's anything in my harder life that would hinder me from preaching, please move that, and I'll give you all the praise for all you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Revelation chapter 1, and we'll begin reading in verse 9. I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation, and in the kingdom and, and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a voice, a great voice, 
as of a trumpet, saying, I'm Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, and what thou seest, write in a book, and send unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, and to Smyrna, and unto Pergamos, and unto Thyatira, and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one likened to the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girded about the palps with a golden girdle. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire. And his feet was likened to fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth uh, went, a, went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shining in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen." and have the keys of hell and of death. Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest, sawest in thy right hand, and the, and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven Churches. So I'm going to talk to you again tonight on this subject, the, the Christ that John worshipped. And we're going to look here at these verses tonight uh, to talk about that just a little bit. Uh, last night, we talked about uh, the voice that arrested John. And tonight, I'm going to talk to you about two things. One thing is, is the vision that all John and also the vocation that arrested uh, or that was assigned to John, the vocation that was assigned to John. John was in awe of what happened. What he saw, he was in awe of that. It was an awesome thing for him to see. Notice this with me, if you will. In Psalms chapter 33 and verse 8, it says, Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the earth stand in awe of Him. That is an amazing statement. The word all or the word awesome, we use that word, I think, too lightly. People use that uh, for somebody that makes a, a, a big play in some sporting event or something like that. People will say that's awesome. But the attitude of a person before God is the reverence here that we see, the awe. Really, uh, in reality, the word should only be used to describe God, really. The word awesome or the word awe. That's an that's a amazing word. And that word ought to be in a, in a special place. And I believe it ought to be ascribed to our God. John is in awe of God. He has a holy fear of God that he sees. We will have a different attitude about God when we see God. He is Lord. He is the Lord God. No matter what you think about Him, He's Lord He's not running for Lord. He already has the office. He is Lord. He is Lord of all. Philippians 2, verses 9 and 10, 
It says, Wherefore God also has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, you may not think so, or the world may not think so, but it really doesn't matter what I think or what you think. He is Lord over all. John heard some things here. Maybe I should have said that John not only heard something, but he heard someone, and John also saw some things. Look with me, if you will, in verse 13. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one likened to the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girded about the palps with a golden girdle. Look at me. Look at look at verse seventeen, if you will. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me and said unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. Do you know what church is? Do you know what really church is all about? When God is in the midst, we have a real church. When our when our God is in the middle of things. When we see and hear God, when you have a church, there is no church really without God being in the midst. Now you can have a club and you can have fellowship and those kind of things, but a real church is a church where God is in the midst of that church. What we all need and what Highland Baptist Church needs, what this church needs, what every church needs is, is that God would be in the midst of our gathering when we come together, that God would meet with us and be right in the middle of what we're doing. Now, last night we talked about uh, John. We talked about the God, the Christ that John worshipped. And we're going to pick up again on that word worship and talk to you just a little bit about that. What is worship? What is worship? The Bible said here in verse 17 that, And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. Worship is falling down before God. Worship is bowing before God. Worship is kissing toward God. Worship is paying homage to God. Sometimes we sing this song at Christmas, O come, let us adore Him. O come, let us adore Him. O come, let us adore Him. Christ the King. That would be a good song any time of the year. Oh, come. That's what we have come for tonight. That's why we have come to have revival. That's why we have Sunday morning. That's why we have Sunday night and Wednesday night to come and adore our King. We're to come and bow before Him in honor and worship to our King. That's why we have come. Listen, what happens at the feet of Jesus? Uh, if you would just go through your Bible sometime and read what happens at His feet, you would be amazed at all the things that happen at His feet. Now, the term here, when it says John fell at His feet, worship is the word worship is not mentioned, it's not found, but the act of worship is. Now notice again with me, we looked at this verse last night in verse 10, and I'm not going to labor that, but we're just going to go over it. He said, I, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. You know what? An unsaved person does not have the capability to worship. When we talk about worship, wor worship is only assigned to saved people. 
Because an unsaved person can't worship. They don't have the capability. They don't have the capacity. In 1 Corinthians, it talks about the natural man receiveth not of the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him. How can he know them? And I'm, I'm telling you tonight, an unsaved person doesn't have that. What, what, is, what, is, what is wrong with a natural person? Well, a natural person has a natural mind. Worship only happens in the Spirit. In the realm of the Spirit is where worship takes place. In the physical, there may be somebody who is talented, they may be gifted, but the only place that worship is found is in the realm of spiritual. We are in the flesh, and worship is, is I'm going to say this to you, worship is not an out-of-the-body experience, but I will say this, worship is beyond a body experience. If we worship, we have to get our minds off everything but Christ. Very few times have I ever seen where really true worship took place. Very few times. We meet and we say we're going to have a worship service, but very few times do we ever meet when our minds are totally off our world, off the things around us, off the things that subtract from us from God, very few times do we ever get to a place where our minds is totally on God and we can fully worship God. That's very few times I've saw that in my life. Very, very few times. So the Bible tells us that we're to worship God in the Spirit. If we're to worship, we have to get beyond some things. Listen, the Bible says in Philippians 3 and verse 3, For we are the circumcision. And that means the, the genuine, the real. They were the people of God. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Jesus and Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Do you get that? Have no confidence in the flesh. So many times we meet and we're having confidence in the flesh. There has to be a certain preacher or a certain singer. But if God shows up, that's all that matters. If God comes, what else do we need? Who else do we need? Who else that could show up that would be greater than the God of heaven? What else could we ask for in worship service if we could come to a place that we worshiped and paid homage to God? Now, notice with me, if you will, I'll show you just something. This is one of my favorite passages of the Scripture. In the fourth chapter of John, we have the story of the woman of Sychar. We, we call her the woman at Jacob's well. And this woman here, this is my favorite of all the stories in the Bible. God speaks to me more when I read that Scripture or I preach about that than any other place and so I would say that was one of my favorite scriptures. So with this conversation of Jesus and this woman of Sychar, listen to what the conversation goes like in verse 19. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Now she got that partly right. She said, I perceive that thou art a prophet. He wasn't just a prophet. He was the prophet. And so she got that partly right. Now look here in verse 20. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. She's talking about, about Mount Garrison. 
And, you know, the Samaritan people, uh, they didn't have anything to do with the Jews, and the Jews didn't have anything to do with them. They had a temple down in Garrison, and that's where they worshipped. And up at Jerusalem is where the Jewish people worshipped. It says, Our fathers worshipped in the mountain. And you say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. She says to him, I know you're a prophet. We worship here in this mountain. You worship in Jerusalem. That's where you say we ought to worship. But watch what Jesus says in verse 21. Jesus said to him, or verse 20, uh, or verse 21. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you know not. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. The hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshiper, watch this, shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship Him. That's great. Could you imagine tonight... That God is seeking people to worship Him in spirit and in truth. The Father, we worship the Father, the truth, the true worship. Now notice Jesus says something here that I think is important. He says here, true worship. If He says there's true worship, then there's false worship. If there's a right way to worship, there's a wrong way to worship. The person we're to worship is the Father. The Father is who we worship. Now, how do we worship the Father? We worship the Father in spirit and in truth. We'll deal just a minute with in spirit. The spirit here, the first encounter a lost person has with the spirit is in conviction. The spirit comes and convicts that person. And then... They have an encounter with the Spirit that's called convincing. The Holy Spirit convinces that sinner that they are lost. And they, they really need a Savior. They're convinced of that. But then comes the Spirit working in their life, and there is a conversion that takes place. They're changed. They're born again. A lost person can't worship. We've done made that statement. True worship God, the true worshiper God, comes from those who are saved. A lost person is dead. His spirit is dead. There is no way that this world can worship God. There's many people talk about worship, but they don't know what they're talking about. You can't worship God outside the Spirit of God. And if you're not born again... The Bible says if, you're, if you have the Spirit of God, you're His. And if you're not born again, you don't have His Spirit. And if you don't have His Spirit, there's no way you can worship Him. How many believe that? You see that? Now, that, that would be offensive to this world. But I'm telling you, it's true. Spirit is the part of man that survives the death of the body. Death, as far as God is concerned, a sinner person is dead. They're dead in trespasses and sin. Spiritually, we're to be alive. We're to be alert. And we're be, to be assisted. If we're going to worship, we have to have life of God. We have to be aware, alert of that. And then the Holy Spirit assists us 
in worshiping the Father. So we're to worship the Father in spirit. Then we're to worship the Father in truth. The Bible says, sanctify them by truth. Thy word is truth. Biblical truth. We either worship God in biblical truth, or we worship God, or we try to worship God in error. Now, I want to read you a passage of Scripture. This is found in the book of Philippians, chapter 1, and in verse 8. Philippians chapter 1, and in verse 8. This will help you right here. Philippians 1 and verse 8. The Bible says, Philippians 1 and verse 8. For God is my record, how greatly I longed after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. Watch this. And this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in the knowledge and in judgment and in all judgment, that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. Now, somebody says this, If I am sincere, then God understands that. That's not the word here. That's not the sincere here. When you read this, you look at this word sincere. The word sincere here is a potter's term. I sung that song the other night about the potter's wheel. Now, this is true. Everybody in here agree with that. Everybody that has a trade has a trick in that trade. You cannot fool a man in his trade. There's some people who are builders. And there's tricks to that. Something might not be just right, and they can fix it, and you'll never know it. An electrician has, has a trick. You, you think that, man, that, 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 that can't be fixed, but that he can fix it where you'll never know it. Uh, Brother Todd, he's in the uh, plaster and things like that. There's tricks to that, aren't there? And I wouldn't know them. I can make a mess, and I can never fix it. But he could take the same problem and fix it, and you would never know it. Now, every person that has a trade has tricks to that trade. Now, this word here, sincere, is a potter's term, and it means this, without wax. That's what it means. In Jeremiah chapter 18, the potter's house, talking about going down to the potter's house, the potter was working with a piece of clay, and the clay was marred. Something happened in the potter's hands, and the clay was marred. It just happened. It, it caved in or something happened. He didn't take and throw that clay off to the side. He just put it back on the wheel, whatever they do, pat it off, put some more water or whatever, and started again and made another vessel out of that. However, the ideal that's here is this. When a clay pot is made and somebody is molding this clay, that Clay has to be fired. All of you know that. You put that clay into an oven, and you heat it at extremely high heat, and then you take it out and let it, let it cool off. And if everything goes well, that clay that if you poured water in when it was just clay would, would erode, but now it'll, it can take any kind of liquid you put in it. 
you put you put water in it or other liquid and he'll 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 stand up to it. However, during that process of heat, many times what happens is in the process of the heat, it cracks and the vessel cracks. And when that vessel cracks, there's a there's a line there that that potter sees. Now a potter that has experience, he has a trick. He can take he can take wax and put it in that crack and fill that crack up, ever how they do it, and he puts it at a very high heat. He takes it out and it dries, and then he takes paint and he paints over that, and all of a sudden this crack vessel is beautiful again and it's really pretty. The problem is this. If you went into there to buy that piece of pottage that he had made, that, that, that pottery, if you went in there to buy that piece of pottery, you look at it and you say, oh, that's a beautiful vessel. That's great. That's expensive. And you have a better price than these. I'll take it. But this is the problem. If another, if another potter went in there who knew about that, he would look at that piece of vase and he'd say, boy, that's beautiful. That's great. You couldn't see it, but he would detect there was a problem. And he would say to the person that's trying to sell it, he might not even touch it. He might say, could you take that out in the sunlight and let me look at that in the sun? And if they held it up to the sun, in artificial light, you can't tell. But in the sunlight, it shows up. It shows up as a crack in that vessel in the sunlight, I want to say to you tonight, this is what I want to talk to you about in just a second. And that is this. We are to worship God without sincerity, without a crack. We are to, we're to worship God where there's no flaw. There's nothing wrong. We are to worship God like that and few people ever get to that place. Worship. Listen, here it is. What is worship? What is Christ worth to you? When we come to worship God, what is He worth? Is He worth a vessel that has a crack in it? Or is He worth a vessel that doesn't have a crack? What is He worth to you? What is the worship of God worth to you? Years ago, the old timers, when they said worship, they said worth-ship. And so Jesus, they talked about the worship of God. There's a lot of things called worship today that's nothing more than parading the flesh. That's all it is. There's lots of things that people say is worship, and it's just parading of the flesh. But I want to tell you, watch this. I've been preaching through the life of Abraham for weeks, weeks and weeks and weeks. Abraham, what do you think, what do you think God would say about the worship of Abraham Abraham took his only son upon Mount Moriah, and this is what he said. He, he did not withhold thy son. God said, you did not withhold thy son, thy only son, from me. In other words, Abraham saw how worthy God was, and he gave everything the worship of Abraham. He was willing to give his son in order to worship the God of heaven. I'm telling you, that's great, friend. That's great. Think about that. Now, now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be quick over this. Not only do we see here the awe 
the worship here, the Christ that awed John, but now the vocation that was assigned John. What did I say last night about worship? I said, anytime you worship, you what? Serve. Worship and service go together. You can't separate them, really. So when you worship, there's always service that takes place in your worship. Now, true worship will always result in a work for the Lord. The Christ we worship. Not only the Christ that John worshiped, but the Christ that we worship. When His church meets, He always is present. He's always present. Always. We never meet that He's not with us. The Bible tells us that where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst. That's important. Think about that. That means that you could have a worship service and the King of Glory could show up with just a few people. You don't have to have a lot of people for Him to show up. And uh, really, you know, sometimes we get all carried away. We think, we think God's really doing something big because there's lots of people. And maybe He is. I'm not against that. That's fine. But I'm going to tell you something. I'd rather, I'd rather know that God was with us and have a small number than have a large number and God not show up. That, that wouldn't be good, would it? Sometimes His presence, however, are more manifest than they are other times. Sometimes we meet and we sense the presence of God more than we do other times. However, every time we come, and I hope you get this tonight. I want you to get up here real close to me. Every time we meet, we are together believing, anticipating, prepared for, focus on the fact, fact that He is here. Oh, if He is here. Oh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. To lose the awareness of His presence, we will lose sight of why we're here. Why are we gathered together today? Why are we having revival? Why have we met? We have met here to adore the Lord. Now notice the description down through here that is given to our Lord. In verses 13 down through 16, the, the, this, is an unusual, this is an unusual thing right here. In verse 13 the Bible says, And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man. In all the writings of John, matter of fact, the Gospel of John is referred to, when he refers to Jesus, he refers to Him as what? The Son of God. That's what, that is the theme of John, the Gospel of John. And so He is the Son of God. This is the only place that John ever referred to Jesus as the Son of God of man. Luke referred to him as the son of man, but John only refers to him here as the son of man. Now notice his clothing. The Bible says he is he is clothed, he is girded about the palps and girded with this golden girdle. It, it covers him. Notice here that that the word clothed, it says he was clothed with a garment down to the foot. Worshiping God 
there's some things you'll know about God, and there's some things you'll never know about God. The mystique of God is one of the things that makes God so great. If I could understand everything there is about God, I would be God myself. And I'm telling you, I'm not that. I don't ever claim that I'd ever even imagine that. And that would be crazy. But, but notice He is concealed. He says we're to worship Him in the beauty of holiness. Does that describe the one we're worshiping? Or does that describe the demeanor of the one who is doing the worshiping? I don't know. I don't know, but I know where to worship God. We sang a song years ago, and sometimes I still hear it. I want to know more about my Jesus. I want to know more about my Lord. I want to know more. And then it goes, I want to know more and more. You've heard that song. Well, that's our, that's our, that's our goal. It's to know more and more about Him. And the more you know about Him, the more you'll rejoice. But guess, guess what? You can never, ever know everything there is about the Lord. So that means you can rejoice at a high level at all times. I heard Jack Howell say this years ago. He said, you can never rejoice at the same level at the same thing continually. I never thought about that before. And he gave an illustration of that. And I know this is true. The first time I went to the Grand Canyon, hit this, I mean, it just blew me away. I mean, good night. I mean, Ralph Benfield said it's a big ditch. I mean, it's a big ditch, all right. I mean, it's the Colorado River's running down there, and those boats and things are going down there. They look little. I mean, we're talking about, I don't know how far it is down there, but the first time I went, I was blown away. Since that first time I went, the first time I went, there was a bunch of Oriental people out there singing, How Great Thou Art. I couldn't understand the words, but I knew they were singing How Great Thou Art. I thought it was wonderful. I mean, it was great. But since that time, I've been back to the Grand Canyon. I don't know. I couldn't tell you how many times I've been to the Grand Canyon because I used to go to Arizona every year, and everybody you take new would want to go to the Grand Canyon. So I'd go to the Grand Canyon. The last time I went to the Grand Canyon, they was out there ooh and ah, and I was up there eating a bologna sandwich or something. You know, I, what I'm saying is you can't you can't rejoice at the same level at the same thing all the time. But our God's not like that because you can never know all there is about God. And so it's a rejoicing all the time. As soon as you find about one thing about Him, you about time you start to kind of slow down about that, there'll be something else, and you'll be up in the air again. And then about time you start to slow down about that, then there'll be something else, and you'll be up in the air again. And then about time through all eternity, you'll be up in the air right on known, worshiping, praising God, because you'll never know all there is about Him. Isn't that great? Worshiping God. We can know the Lord, however, but the Lord is concealed. He's not concealed completely. We can know Him. But there's things about Him you'll never know. Now notice He's girded about the pouts with the golden girdle. That's a sovereign restraint. Why doesn't God cast us all into hell right now? Because He's sovereignly restrained. He has the right. He has a reason. He is holy. He's no less holy than He's ever been. Yet when Jesus came to earth, He limited Himself voluntarily. He took on a flesh, and God realizes that tonight. Notice his hair and his head are white as wool. I remember a time when my hair was dark, real dark. I remember a time when I had hair. 
<laughs> but now my hair is almost white. It's almost gray. And uh, just, but I'll tell you this, the Bible says the beauty of an old man's is gray hair. What's that mean? That means he's been around. I'm not a kitten no more. My dad used to have an old saying, said this. He said, I'm, I'm too old of a cat to be scratched by a kitten. I, th- I think that's a good saying. That's like God. He's too old of a cat to be scratched by a kitten. His hair and his head are white as snow. Daniel called him the ancient of days. His eyes, he has perfect. He has perception is perfect. Everything is open to him. You may hide from other people, but you won't hide from God. His feet is like fine brass burning in a furnace. It symbolizes judgment. His feet. Think about that. His voice, the Bible says, is like many waters. We talked about his voice being like a trumpet. But here he says his voice is like many waters. If you've ever been to Niagara Falls before, if, you better, if you're going to have a conversation, you better have it before you get down there because you'll not have one when you get down there because you can't hear nothing. I mean, because it's so, it's so noisy at the, at the Niagara Falls when you get right up to the falls. I mean, you'd have to scream as loud as you could to hear somebody even hear you talking. I mean, it, it just overpowers voices. And so his voice, that means that, that he, is, he is not going to be... You can't, you can't bring against God. You can't say no to God. You can't say, I'm not going to do that. His voice will overpower you. Think about that. Notice his right hand. I, I love this. His right hand. Uh, and I like, I like the fact they said his right hand. I'm, I'm going to stop there and I'm going to bring it bring back up in just a second. And then out of his mouth was a sharp two-edged sword. Hebrews 4 and verse 12 says, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharp than any two-edged sword, piercing even dividing asunder the soul and spirit, and the, and the joint and mar, and it is a discerner of the thoughts and of man, and the heart of man. Uh, notice, and then his countenance was as the sun shining in his strength, his countenance. Your countenance says a lot about you. If you're around somebody for any length of time, you can be around them in just a minute, and you'll, you can say to them, what's wrong? And you know something's wrong by their countenance. And so your countenance says a lot about you. As your mother, when you were growing up, said to you, don't you lie to me. You heard that? Don't you lie to me, boy. Don't you lie to me. Your countenance says a lot. Now, I'm, I'm going to close right here with this. I've been waiting to get here, and so I'm going to close. Look with me, if you will, in verses 17 and 18. And when I saw him, I fell at, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying, Unto me, fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. John saw Jesus, and he fell. He fell on his feet. He passed out almost. He was there. And the Bible says he was so afraid. He was scared to death of this image he saw. And all of a sudden, Jesus came up to him and he put his right hand on John. And when he touched John and spake, John realized, hey, I don't have to be afraid. This is the same Jesus that I lay on his bosom. This is the same Jesus that I walk with those years. And Jesus said to him, Fear not. Now watch this with me. 
when he touched when John touched when Jesus touched John, he had all the power he'd ever need. He fell at his feet as dead, but now he's not afraid. Now he's going to see the rapture. He's going to see the tribulation. He's going to see the antichrist, the beast, the false prophet. He's going to be. He's going to see the fall of Babylon. He's going to see this world come into remembrance. He's going to see the great white throne judgment. But John's never going to be afraid no more. Because Jesus said, fear not. Think about that. Now listen, John. Listen, John. God's plan, God had a plan for John. He had a man. And God had a hand to help him. John, he says to him, now you can write, John. I want you to write something for me. They say that John at this time was about 90 and 90 some years old. At this time, here's a man who is almost ready to go to the grave. And yet God says, I'm going to put a touch on you. And you're going to be able to write one of the greatest books of the Bible. That's great. John was put in a boiling pot of oil. They were going to kill him. But he survived that. And you know, sometimes when we stand for the Lord, that costs us a little bit. Well, there's two things I'll say and I'm through. Jesus is altogether lovely. Is he? You think so? Jesus is altogether lovely. And he's altogether worthy. He's altogether worthy. <laughs>